great to be uh, with you this morning. If you happen to be uh, new here or visiting, I'm so glad uh, that you're here as well. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you happen to miss last week, we are right in the middle of kind of a mini message series called Unstrapped, Set Free to Live Free. And so uh, last week, we kind of unpacked why we're taking three weeks to talk about the subject of money. And we said, um, we, are, we are not doing this. We're not spending three weeks talking about money uh, because we're trying to get you guys to give uh, more money to the church. Um, we're actually in a really healthy place right now financially because of your faithful giving. Uh, I'm also uh, not in the market for a private jet so I can hit the, the speaking tour. Um, that I'm not gonna buy a private jet. So not, none of that stuff, right? Like I'm not that guy, we're not that church. And so last week I just kind of gave a lot of caveats as to, to why we're choosing to speak on this topic for just a few weeks. And so uh, if you missed the message last week, would, would encourage you catch that on our app, website, Facebook, whatever. Uh, go back and listen to it just so you have some context for uh, why it is that we're even uh, talking about this in the first place. But here's, here's kind of the bottom line um, that, that we landed on last week. The Bible is just absolutely filled with teachings on the subject of money. Now, that makes a lot of us uncomfortable at, time that, at times. That makes me uncomfortable, um, but it's just, it's, it's there. Like, we can't duck it. We can't avoid it. Uh, we can't run away from it. It's just, it's just there. It's there. So, uh, last week, we noted that uh, roughly 15% of everything that Jesus taught centered on the subject of money and possessions. Almost half the parables that Jesus told were about money or possessions. Uh, we noted last week that Jesus taught more on money than he taught on marriage, which is kind of a big deal. He taught uh, more uh, about money than he did sex. He talked more about money than he did parenting, theology, heaven and hell combined. Like, this just appears to be a really big deal to God and to Jesus himself. And listen, it's not because God needs your money, okay? Like, it's his. He doesn't, he doesn't need your money. Jesus taught about this so often, so much, because he's after our hearts. And Jesus knew that money is just like this weird gateway to our hearts. And because money is a gateway to our hearts, it can also serve as a gateway into all sorts of idolatry in our hearts that he knew would rob us from the freedom that he intends for us to, to live in and walk in. And so that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, this was kind of our anchor uh, text last week, and I'm gonna go ahead and throw that up on the screen now. We're gonna start off with it this week because it's foundational to everything that we're gonna talk about. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus cares an awful lot about our hearts, which means he talks a lot about the things that we tend to make idols of in our hearts. And money, for most of us, if we're honest, money happens to be at the top of that list, which is why Jesus just keeps hammering on this topic again and again. Now, this morning, we're gonna drill down a little bit deeper, and we're gonna start to make the connection between um, our trust level in God and how we manage money in light of the gospel of Jesus. Because here's what I know to be true about the gospel. The gospel is transformational, is it not? Like, you, you meet Jesus, he redeems you, he forgives you of all your sins, he sets you free from all these things that you've been in bondage to your whole life. Man, when you, when you meet Jesus and that happens, like, 
that changes a person. It changes how you view yourself. It changes how you view God. It changes how you relate to God. It changes the lens through which you see the world around you. And yes, it even changes how you leverage and spend money. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. Go all the way back to Genesis, first book of the Bible. There's this creation narrative there. And so God is, he's, there's just a scene where he's creating everything that is. And so he's like, hey, let there be light. And boom, there's light, and now we have a sun by day, we have a moon by night, and God goes, I'm gonna let there be plant and trees, and boom, man, there's plant and trees and fruit, all this great stuff, and he's, God goes, it's good, and then he goes, I'll let there be animals and birds and fish, and boom, there's all this stuff, and he says, it's good, and finally, God creates the crown jewel of his creation, man and woman, right? Adam and Eve, we are, we are the only thing in all of creation that God says he created in his very image. We are the image bearers of God himself. And this creation in the Garden of Eden was incredible. It was perfection in every sense of the word, perfect harmony between God, nature, humanity. Man, it's what we all dream of. Man, it's what our hearts still long for. It's what we lost in that garden so long ago. And honestly, it's what Jesus will come back and restore one day when he comes back for the second time. But God says something fascinating in these kind of creative narratives found in Genesis 1 and 2. And I want to show this to you just to kind of set the stage for our time together this morning. So these, you don't have to go there. This will be on the screens for you. Genesis 1, uh, starting in 28, says this, and God blessed them, that's men and woman, Adam and Eve, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and listen, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then listen to what he says in Genesis chapter two. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to what? And to take care of it. So God creates everything that is. Everything, right? Like, so it's, it's all his. He made it all. He owns all of it. And he looks at Adam and Eve, the crown jewel of his creation, and he goes, look, I want, I want you to work it, and I want you to care for it. I want you to take care of what I've given you. I want you, you are to, you are to steward what I have given you well. Now, here, here's what I know. Uh, I know that we could probably divide every single person in this room into two categories when it comes to money and finances, right? So we have, don't raise your hand, we have our, we have our spenders in the room and we have our savers in the room, do we not? Some of you are looking at your spouse right now, you're the spender. Um, most marriages tend to have one of each, thankfully. Now, if you have two spenders in a marriage, uh, you are probably broke as a joke right now, swimming in debt, you, but on the bright side, you got a bunch of really nice stuff that you can't afford. Um, and if you have two savers in a family, uh, you're probably still wearing clothes that went out of style in like 97. And you might even be the family that like smuggles in popcorn and Ziploc bags to the movie theaters. You might be that family. Like, that's what my grandma used to do when I was a kid. It was humiliating. And, um, but man, you are, you are not gonna pay seven bucks for a tub of popcorn, by God. And uh, man, you don't care that anybody thinks that you're a weirdo because listen, you are gonna max out your Roth IRA this year, baby. <laughs> and uh, in my house, we, ha we have one of each. So in our house, we have one saver, one spender, and I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to tell you who the spender is, but her name rhymes with barrel. All right? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to go any further than that because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this, this unnamed person, she is the spender, and I am. I'm to say, by the way, I got permission to say that, so she's not going to kill me. It works well. It works well for us because we balance each other out, right? So she, she, makes me, she makes me throw away perfectly good clothes from my middle school years, which I still don't understand. <laughs> I only have like two or three holes. It's just getting comfortable. And uh, she forces me to purchase uh, clothes and shoes that are uh, stylish so that I don't embarrass her on the stage. So it's, you know, it's, a good, it's a good balance. It works out. Most of us are in one of those two categories, right? We just naturally lean towards spending or we naturally lean towards uh, being a saver. Um, but listen, both of those categories of people, even among those of us who would say we're Christians, even among those of us who say we love Jesus, follow Jesus, we tend to make one critical error in our thinking when it comes to money. And that is we tend to think that the money that we have actually belongs to us. We, t- we tend to, whether you're a saver or a spender, you tend to, I tend to believe that I own it. Like everything that I have, uh, my house, my car, whatever, bank account, I, that, that's mine, that, that I own it. The problem with that is that the Bible introduces a third category of people. So now we, we, we no longer have just the spenders and the savers. We also have what the scriptures call stewards. All right, so let me give you a definition for all three of those categories. We're going to put it up on the screens for you. And you just kind of tell me where you think you are. So uh, this, is, this is how I would define a spender. Spenders are people who see the primary value of money and enjoyment today. So if I see something and I want it and I think it's gonna bring me joy and I have the money to buy it or I have the credit to buy it, boom, I want it now because I want to enjoy life now. That's, that's spenders. Some of you happen to be spenders. Others of you are like me and you happen to be savers and savers are people who see the primary value in money, not in spending it or enjoying it today. They see the primary value of money in security tomorrow. So it's not like, man, I want the iPhone today. It's like, I want to be secure 10 years from now, or I want to be secure in retirement. So that would, be, that would be savers. Now, the third category that God introduces in his word, the scriptures, what we call stewards. Now, stewards are people who actually see money as a gift from God to be used in the purposes of God. And they see the primary value of money, not in what it can do for me or today, or not what, it, what security can provide for me tomorrow, 10 years from now. They actually see the primary value of money as an investment in the kingdom of Jesus into eternity. Now listen to this. This is something that stewards do. This is a mark of stewards. Stewards intentionally, stewards intentionally limit both their spending and their saving in order to invest in the kingdom of Jesus as their top priority financially. And so God looks at man and woman, he creates them, he goes, hey, listen, guys, hey, Adam and Eve, it's all mine. It's all mine. Like, I created all of it. I own all of it. I'm giving it to you temporarily as a gift because I love you. I want you to enjoy it. But I also intend for you to steward it well for my glory. I want you to listen to what King David uh, writes in Psalm 24. There'll be several passages. These will all be on the screens for you. This is what David said. He says this, The earth is the Lord's 
and everything in it. Now that Hebrew word, everything, literally means everything. Everything in the world. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, that's you and me, he owns us too, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10 says, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Now, if you're thinking, Chris, <laughs> nice try, man. That's all Old Testament stuff. We're under the new covenant of Jesus. Cool. Listen to James, the little half-brother of Jesus who became this fierce leader in the first century church. This is what he writes in James chapter one. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So our first truth this morning is so fundamental, foundational, so simple that many of us tend to forget it or we tend to live like it's not true. Here's truth number one. Number one, God owns everything. He owns everything. Let me put it to you another way. Christian, you own nothing. You got nothing. You own nothing. It is all, every single thing in your life, it is all a gift. Now, I know in a room this size, there are probably at least a handful of you who are sitting out there thinking, Chris, you have no, no idea who I am, man. I came from nothing. I worked my way up. I've worked hard for my money, man. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, man. I made money the hard way. Okay, John Wayne, that's, that's cool. You, you made a lot of money. You're really smart. You've done a lot of things with what? With the body God gave you? With the mind that he created inside of you? With the talent that he gave you? While breathing his air, walking around on his planet? You just as easily could have been born in a desert in Somalia and you'd be living in a shack in poverty right now with all of your intellect and all of your talent and all of your hard work. So you are where you are right now and you have what you have right now because and only because God chose to put you where you are and give you what he gave you, period, the end. And just so you know, if you think, oh man, he, man he's fired up, he's in a bad mood this morning. If it, <laughs> if it, uh, if it looked like I was limping when I came up on the stage. It's probably because I, wa I was because God absolutely worked me over this week studying this stuff. He just, he just worked me, man. I was, I was so convicted um, just because, man, I, if I'm being honest, I have at times in my life, I've allowed, um, man, l listen, it is, it is so easy. Like we don't even have to try to do this, uh, at least for most of us. I think it just we're such sinners by nature, it comes naturally. Uh, we just let this thought drift into our mind and we begin to leave, believe the lie that I've done all this. It's easy to look around, look around at our lives, to look at our, our families, our spouses, our kids, our homes, our houses, our retirement account, whatever it is. It's really easy. And we don't, again, we, it's not like we purposefully are trying to take credit for those things or trying to take ownership of those things, but we just begin to believe the lie that I've done this. Like, this is all mine. This is all a result of my hard work. This is me, me, me. I have done this. Look at me. 
And God is so good to just lovingly remind us through his word, hey kid, it's not you. It's not you. It's not yours and you didn't do it. It's, it's me, it's all mine. And my provision for you is an overflow of my love towards you as a gift, but it is also in some real sense a test of what you actually treasure most in your life. And so I think the question that God is asking all of us and how we look at money, view money, manage money, spend money, invest money is, listen, are you gonna build a little kingdom for yourself with what I give you? Are you gonna invest in my kingdom? And it's kind of like, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, when we buy stuff for our kids for uh, like Christmas, uh, their birthday, whatever it is, and then I don't know if you've had this experience with your kids or grandkids, and, and then you, you buy them this cool thing, and then they will not share it with you, even though you bought it. And that makes me so stinking mad. You know, like, like I buy my kid an ice cream cone or something like that, and I'll lean over, and I'm like, hey, let me get a little, get a little bite of that. I'm like, Daddy, this is, this is my ice cream cone. I'm like, oh, heck no, no. And that kind of launches into this little speech that I have. My kids have heard dozens of times, and I just start this speech. I'm like, do you realize the chair you're sitting in is mine? I bought it. The clothes you're wearing, mine. The food you just ate for dinner, every meal you've ever eaten in your life, mine. The bed you're about to go to sleep in, I bought it. It's mine. The air you're breathing in my house, it's also mine. Give me that ice cream cone. That's mine. I don't play those games, right? <laughs> Same thing, man. If I, if, I, if I buy one of my kids a gift and then I see them being greedy with it, with their siblings, man, I wanna take it away from them. I bought that. How dare you be stingy with your siblings, right? But if I, if I see one of my kids willingly sharing kind of their prize, Legos are big in my home right now, so like sharing their prize Legos with one another, man, that, that makes me happy, it makes me proud. That makes me want to go buy him some more stuff. I'm like, oh, man. I knew he took more after me than his mom. See? Look at that. Look, man, look at that. Let me get on Amazon real quick. I'm going to buy some more, more of these Legos. Man, I just, I think about that and I think, man, our, our heavenly father must look down on us and it must seem just as absurd to him. Right, we're down here hoarding all our stuff, like mine, 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 like little toddlers. And he's up there like, I gave you everything. You're breathing my air, kid. It all belongs to me. So my question is, why, why are we like that? Why is that a struggle for me? Why is that likely a struggle for you? What, what, what is it inside of us that clings to money and possessions as if our life actually depended on it. I want you to listen to a couple of quotes from uh, some of the wealthiest people who have ever walked the face of this planet. Uh, these will be on the screens for you. W.H. Uh, Vanderbilt said this, the care of 200 million, which we probably all would like to have that problem, right? The care, the care of 200 million, he says, is enough to kill anyone. There is, listen, there is no pleasure in it, none. John uh, Jacob Astor, really wealthy uh, businessman in America, he perished on the Titanic, but filthy rich. Uh, this is what he said before he died. I, he said, I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller, we talked about him last week. He said, I, I have made many millions, many millions, but they, listen, they have brought me 
no happiness. Andrew Carnegie, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, the inventor of Ford, man, the automobile thing. He says, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. King Solomon, maybe the wealthiest dude that's ever walked the planet, wrote an entire book called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament where he talks about the pursuit of money and riches and wealth and how empty it is when he tastes all of it and experiences all of it. Now, why, why is that the case? Why is it that we, that we chase all these things and we think, man, when I, when I get that, when I can just attain that one thing, I'm finally gonna be happy. I'm gonna be satisfied in my life. If I could just get that house, if I could just get that car, if I could just get that retirement account, if I could just get this much of a raise, then I would be satisfied and then I would be happy. And it's like sand that just sifts through our fingers. We attain it and it's like it's gone and man, we're still empty and we're still not happy. And why is that? Why is that? And I would argue and this is our second truth this morning, I would argue that the danger in money is that it promises to give us what only Jesus can actually give us. Money promises to give us something that only Jesus can actually give us, namely comfort, security, pleasure, all those things that our hearts are constantly chasing after. Now, here's the sneaky kind of dangerous thing about money. M money and stuff, possessions, can give us all of that. Comfort, security, pleasure, but it can only give us those things for a brief moment, which is why materialism is so sneaky dangerous. It's a deadly trap. Now, I'm, I'm not even going to lie to you this morning. I, I like gadgets. I like stuff. Um, I like iPhones and MacBooks and uh, TV, you know, whatever, smart stuff. And uh, man, man, when I get a new whatever iPhone, whatever it is, I'm not gonna lie, I, like, I like it. <laughs> it feels good. And I've got that brand new iPhone, man, and it's newer than yours and bigger than yours and got 14 camera lenses on the front. And man, like, I kinda, I kinda like that. It feels good to me, man. It gives me some sort of sick, weird sense of pleasure or, comfort, but here's the thing, every time it's fading fast. It fades fast, man, a month in, and man, I couldn't care less about that thing. It's just another dumb phone sitting on my desk, just like every other phone I've ever had, right? So the, the danger in money is that it promises us something that it cannot, will not ever deliver on. It promises us what only Jesus can give us in a, in a lasting way. Now, Jesus illustrates this for us in Matthew 25. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go there, open it up, turn it on your device. Matthew 25, and Jesus tells a parable in this chapter, and, and he gives us kind of, kind of the way the people of God should think about and act on the money that he gives us. And so Jesus is talking about his second coming at this point in time, and so he's gonna go back to the Father, and there's gonna be this period of time where we're here as his disciples, but he's gonna come back for us again and this is what um, he's teaching about in verse 14. He says this. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Now, th this man in the story represents Jesus. So a man's going on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted to them his, his property or possessions. To one he gave five talents. Now we read that. That doesn't mean anything to us. We don't know what the heck a talent is. Uh, a talent, if you don't know, is a monetary unit that represented, get this, 20 years worth of wages. 
So whatever you make a year or your family makes a year, just multiply times 20, that's, that's one talent um, in the New Testament. So he gave five talents to one guy, that's a, that's a lot, lot of money. Um, and to another he gave two talents, and to another one he gave one to each according to his ability, and then he, he went away. Uh, he who received the five talents, listen, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he took the five that he got. Now he worked really hard. He's got 10 talents to give back to his master. Now notice he takes immediate action, right? So this guy is not a, he's not passive with the money that he receives from the master. He doesn't just stick it in his pocket. He doesn't just stick it in a savings account. He is actively investing for the king and his king and his master. Verse 17, so also he who had two talents made two more. So the second guy got two, now he's got four to give back to his master. Verse 17, so he had two, now he's got two more. But he who received the one talent, this is sad, he went and he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. So this guy does absolutely nothing, does nothing with what the master had entrusted him with. Now listen, to his credit, at the very least, he understood that the money belonged to his master. All right, unlike many of us, this foolish servant wasn't even foolish enough to go, hey, listen, the, the master, the king gave it to me, so I guess it's mine now, just to do with whatever I please. Like, even the foolish servant wasn't that foolish. He knew that one day he would stand before his master and give an account for everything his master had entrusted him with. We gotta give him credit for that. Now, he's about to mess it up in a minute, but at least he got that right. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants uh, came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward bringing five talents more saying, master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. So I got five, here's 10, boom. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. There's a whole nother sermon I could preach on that. But I would at least challenge you to think about what Jesus just said there, right? You've been faithful over a little, I will now set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. So now he's got, he's got four to give back to his master. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, he also had received the one talent, came forward saying, and notice, he's just making excuses right off the bat. He came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. So he's not only making excuses, he's lying about his master. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, just excuse after excuse. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money, my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, just in case you missed it, this is what Jesus just said. He goes, listen, my disciples are given money as stewards, not as owners. 
and my disciples will stand before their master one day and they will give an account of how they stewarded God's money. And for those who are found faithful, there will be great reward. And for those who are found unfaithful, there will be great disappointment. I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says as he writes to a a church in a city called Corinth. This will be on the screens for you. Paul writes, moreover, listen, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Not a suggestion, a requirement from our Lord Jesus. Now, Paul is specifically in this context, he's talking about us as disciples being faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the principle remains. Christian, God requires that his stewards be found faithful. Like, this isn't a gray area in scripture. Like, so many of us love to live in the the gray. Like, ah, did God really mean that? Uh, No, we actually have a lot of freedom. We can do this or we can do that. This is not one of these areas. This is not one of these areas where it's like, hey, man, uh, some people enjoy old hymns. And so they worship in churches that sing old hymns and, and some people like new, like modern worship songs and that's cool too, uh, potato, potato, it's all. No, 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 this is, this is not one of those areas. This is, this is extremely black and white. God takes the stewardship of his resources by his people incredibly seriously. And so here's our, our third truth this morning. Truth number three The gospel makes me a steward, not an owner. The gospel makes me a steward, not an owner. Now listen, if you would say that you're a Christian, if you would say you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, I want you to repeat that one with me on the count of three so that it sinks in. Now the 915 was, they were pathetic with this. All right, so I'm counting on you guys to be better. I don't have a favorite service, but if I did, all right, so here we go. Don't disappoint me on the count of three. One, two, three. Three, the gospel makes me a steward, not an owner. Man, y'all knocked that out of the park. Man, y'all kill the 915 every time. Listen, the message of the Bible over and over again is that God blesses us as his children so that in order that we might be a blessing to others. He invests in us so that his kingdom might be expanded, so that his hope might be delivered to the hopeless so that the hungry might be fed, so that the thirsty might be satisfied, so that the slave might be freed. And here's the really amazing thing when you actually realize and begin to live as a steward instead of an owner because you, you kind of hear that and you instinctively think like, ah, oh, there's like this pushback mentally. Like, man, I've, oh, I don't like that. I don't own anything? Like, nothing is mine? Like, I don't, I don't like that thought. That sounds depressing. But the reality is it's actually not depressing. This is actually what brings us freedom. See, free, freedom is learning to live with open hands with what the Lord gives us instead of clenched fist. Freedom is, is waking up and going, God, man, this, this is all you, man. This is, this is all yours this body you gave me, this mind you gave me, this ability to work, these clothes, the food that I just ate, the air, that it's all yours. And you gave it to me because you love me. You gave it to me to enjoy and to steward well for your glory, God. And so if you want me to steward some of this or you want me to steward all of this, then I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna trust you enough to live in your kingdom and for your kingdom instead of my kingdom. I love the story of John Wesley as this young pastor in the 1700s, really gifted young guy, uh, helped spark this spiritual awakening, first in England and then in America. 
And uh, so there's this account. One day, this messenger comes racing up to Wesley on a horse, and he says, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. Now, I want you, I want you to listen to Wesley's response to the news that everything he owned in this world literally just went up in smoke. Th this is his reply. It says, Wesley calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. <laughs> Man, that's freedom. He didn't care. It didn't mess up his day at all. That's freedom. Friend, how would our lives change if we understood that we are stewards, we are caretakers, we are not owners? How much bondage and stress and worry would you be freed from if you understood that it's not yours? It was never yours. Just imagine, like your house burns down. Somebody tells you, man, that's not my house. That's, that's God's house. One last thing I gotta worry about. Where are we gonna go eat lunch? All right? Somebody comes to you like, man, the stock market crashed. Man, your retirement account is wiped out. Your account is empty. Not my account, man. That's the Lord's account. Where are we gonna go have coffee? That's freedom. I remember in uh, seminary, Cheryl and I lived in this apartment complex, mostly students, and uh, there was a couple that lived right across the way from us named uh, Josh and Brantley, really sweet couple. They're a little ahead of us, and so he was not only a seminary student, but he was on staff at a church, and she was a professional uh, somewhere, and so they, they had a lot more money than most of us broke seminary students did. And I remember, this is right about the time that, uh, I don't know if y'all remember, the Nissan Xterra came out. Y'all remember that? It was a long time ago. I don't even know if they still make them, but Nissan Xterras were basically like a cross between an SUV and a, like an off-road Jeep. They were like, Super cool, and everybody's talking about them when they first came out. And Josh and Brentley, they drive into the apartment parking lot with a brand new um, Xterra. And um, Cheryl and I are just like drooling, you know, like, oh my God, that, that is, that's really amazing. And I can remember Josh coming up to our apartment door, knocking on the door. He's like, Chris, I want you to know something, man. We got that Xterra out there, you're gonna see it. I want you to know something, that's not my car. I want you to understand something. That's, that's the Lord's car. And any time, like if you, you guys wanna go on a date, if y'all wanna go camping one weekend, you come over and the keys are yours. It's not, this is not mine. You can have it whenever you want. And I remember thinking, are you crazy? Do you know how often I'll be knocking on your door, man? <laughs> Every day. I'd like the Lord's Xterra today, man. <laughs> and uh, man, I say all of that to say this. I've noticed that some of y'all have some really nice cars in the parking lot that belong to the Lord. I just wanna remind you of that. And I'm just thinking he might be telling you, it's time to let me drive one of his cars, right? <laughs> Listen, friend, at the end of the day, we, we laugh, but, but this issue at its core is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. It's not a financial issue. It's a heart issue. It is a trust issue. And some of us are not good stewards because our trust in Jesus is actually really shallow. I wanna show you one more really cool story in the Gospel of Luke and then we'll, we'll land the plane. So this is a Luke 19, be on the screens for you. You guys are familiar with this story. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Two important things to remember. Chief tax collector, filthy rich. 
And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowds, he could not because uh, he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree uh, to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up uh, and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, you gotta understand, tax collectors uh, in those days were hated because they were essentially thugs. They were like the Jewish mafia. Like, nobody liked these guys. They were always taking money, stealing money from poor people to make themselves rich. They were considered the most ungodly lowlifes on the planet. And Zacchaeus is not just one of these guys. He's the boss, okay? He's like the chief mafia dude, and, he, and so Luke tells us that's who he is. He, Luke also tells us for some unexplainable reason that he's super short, which is kind of funny. But, uh, you know, Zacchaeus, here's all this buzz about Jesus. Man, he's doing all these miracles. He's preaching the coming kingdom of God. He's the son of God, maybe. And so Zacchaeus wants to see for himself what all the hype is about. And so he climbs up in a tree because he can't see over all the people that are taller than him. So he climbs up in a tree and Jesus is coming by and Jesus spots him and sees him. And he calls him by name and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, which would kind of freak you out, right? if he doesn't know who you are and he knows your name. <laughs> like, hey, Zacchaeus, I want you, to, want you to come down, man. Come out of that tree because I'm gonna come to your house today. I'm gonna come hang out with you. I'm gonna come stay with you. We're gonna feast together. And it says Zacchaeus comes out of that tree and he received Jesus, it says, with joy. Now, all the religious people that see this, they start grumbling. I mean, why, man, why is Jesus eating with this sinner, this thug man? He stole all my money. He re repossessed my wife's car. This guy's a scumbag, man. This guy doesn't deserve to be with Jesus. I deserve to hang out with Jesus. Now, watch what happens next in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord. Now, no notice what he's calling him now. Behold, Lord, you are my master. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now get this, Zacchaeus meets Jesus. He experiences grace for himself from the son of God and he immediately, he immediately goes, Jesus, I'm gonna give away half of everything that I have. To the poor. I'm just going to give it away. And Jesus, with the other half that I still have over here, I'm, I'm going to pay back everybody that I've defrauded, not just what I took from them, but fourfold. So if he, if he stole $100 from you, he's knocking on your door, and he's got four $100 bills for you. If he stole your old Honda Accord, he's pulling up in a brand new Corvette with a title, and he's just handing it to you, which honestly probably left Zacchaeus with little to nothing at the end, right? When he gives away half out of the poor, he's got the other half, and he's paying back everybody that he had stolen from fourfold. He was probably left with very little, if anything at all. And Zacchaeus is just like, look, I, I found what I was looking for when I found Jesus. I found what I was looking for. I don't, I don't care about all this other stuff now. It's just, it's just stuff. Like, I, I wanna use all of this to, to honor God now and to expand the kingdom of Jesus now. Now, notice what happened. The moment Zacchaeus meets Jesus, he experiences grace and forgiveness and acceptance. His trust, listen, his trust shifts immediately from his money to the kingdom of Jesus. There's a transfer of trust that happens in that moment. And as soon as that happens, 
the greedy, stingy, thug, mafia, tax collector starts to give away everything that he owns. He just goes from a greedy, stingy guy to this generous, loving dude in an instant. It's like the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. Total transformation. And in that moment, Jesus sees the heart change in Zacchaeus and he looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your home. Now, was Jesus saying to Zacchaeus that he's receiving salvation because he gave away all his stuff? So if we just give away all our stuff, then we're gonna be accepted as well. No, Jesus was making a connection between how Zacchaeus viewed his money and what he loved most. Now, can, can you just imagine the kind of impact Zacchaeus would have had in Jericho, the city in which he lived as a brand new disciple of Jesus? Right, this guy is now, he was a thug, he's a mafia guy, stole stuff. People would have been afraid of this guy. He was ridiculously powerful, oversaw all kinds of things in that city. And all of a sudden, now he's walking away around the city and he's giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars, who knows, maybe millions of dollars. And everybody would have been like, Zacchaeus, what happened, man? What, what's going on? Have you lost your mind? Have you been drinking? And Zacchaeus is like, hey, man, I, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. And I realized. All of this stuff, it's not about me. All this stuff that I have, it's not even mine. It's, it's his. And so I'm going to live for a different kingdom now, and I'm going to live for a better king now, and you should too. Like, what a testimony. What a story. And so I just, I think, man, like, what if the disciples of Jesus today, in 2020, in America, in Asheville, in New Life, what if we started living like Zacchaeus? We just said, God, all, all that we have, it doesn't belong to us. It's not ours. It's all yours, God. So whatever you want me to do with it, however you want me to invest it, my answer is just yes. I'm gonna give it away. I'm gonna do exactly what you want me to do. What kind of an impact for the kingdom could we have in 2020? Now, here's the last truth, and this is really kind of the big idea of the message Believer, in a very real sense, number four, last truth, your trust in God will be most clearly seen in how you steward what he gives you. Your trust in God will be most clearly seen in how you steward what he gives you. Now, you may be thinking, Chris, that's not fair, man. That's not fair. I love God in other ways. I, I serve God in other ways, man. I, I come here and I, I serve in the nursery and I hand out bulletins once a month and, and uh, uh, I, I volunteer in other ways and I'm sweet to stray animals and I don't kick my dog when the Tar Heels lose most of the time. I got other ways outside of my money that I serve the Lord. And if that's you, listen, I, you need to understand something. I'm not saying this, Jesus is. Now, I want to go back to Matthew 6. What we started with, we're going to finish with. Matthew 6, this is the words of Jesus, not the words of Chris. Where your treasure is, believer, there your heart will be also. Now, I want to finish with a quote from C.T. Studd, this British missionary to, to China who had the just unquestionably the coolest name in the history of names. Um, could you imagine? What's your name? Mr. Studd. You can call me Dr. Studd. He's coming with Mr. Studd, I've tried to get the staff to call me that. They refuse, jerks. But this is, what, this, is what, this is what Studd says. He says, only one life, it will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's almost poetic, isn't it? 
Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, which I highly recommend to you, uh, Alcorn says that five minutes after we die, we will know exactly what we should have lived for. Five minutes after we die, we will know exactly what we should have lived for. And friend, what I'm saying to you this morning is, what if Jesus already told us on the front end what we should live for? What, what if he's already told us? What, what if we can know now, like right now, instead of five minutes after we're dead? Friend, he, he has told us. He's told us because he, he wants us to live in freedom, not just in eternity, but he wants us to live in freedom right now, this life, today, this year, 2020, freed from the oppression and the slavery of money and possessions and stuff. He offers that hope to you and he offers it to me as well. The only real question that remains is, what are you gonna do with that offer? Will you choose the freedom of becoming a steward in God's kingdom? Or will you continue to run the exhausting rat race of debt, of keeping up with the Joneses, the never-ending chase that promises to satisfy but never does, of the newer and the better. Listen, friend, Jesus has set us free so that we might live in freedom. And choice is ours. Now, next week, next week we're gonna wrap up this series by um, drilling down into some very specific issues that a lot of people in the church have questions about. So we're gonna just tackle things like spending, Things like savings, things like debt, uh, tithing. Is that, is that still binding as New Covenant uh, Christians? We'll get really practical next week. And then we're gonna be launching a discipleship class on finances called uh, Financial Peace University the first Sunday in uh, February, run, run nine weeks. And um, so listen, if you're, I would just encourage you, if, if you're tired of living strapped, if you are in debt and you're constantly stressed out about finances, please sign up for that class. It'll be the best $99 you ever spend. Uh, by the way, we, we don't get a single dime of that. That's all, that's all their fee. It's a great class. would encourage you to take that class. You'll get access not only to their materials, but access to their app, I think, for a year, all their material for a year. And after the nine weeks, if you take that class, it'll be at this hour, 11 o'clock upstairs. If you don't think it was worth it, you don't think it was worth the 99 bucks, uh, Pastor Mark will give you a full refund from his paycheck. All right, he's a really swell guy like that. And so the reality, you got nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. You either love it and it helps your finances or Mark hooks you up. And so it's, it's gonna be good. Listen, the, the truth is Jesus wants you to live in freedom. And he knows one of the things that will tend to enslave your heart in 2020 is, is money. And it doesn't have to be that way. He offers us a better path. And that really is the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? I mean, the essence of the gospel is that we were all hopelessly lost in our sin. God sent his son. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived on our behalf. Man, he, he died to pay for our sins, and they, he rose again, securing our freedom in this life and forever. Jesus is the freedom giver, like in every area of life. And so if you're here this morning and you feel trapped or stressed or oppressed or enslaved, depressed, anxious about money, stuff, finances, or anything else, I want you to know Jesus is the cure, <laughs> and he offers you rest and healing today. As the ushers come, let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you, for, thank you for being the God of freedom, 
Thank you for being a God who hates to see his children enslaved to anything, especially the idol of money or materialism. God, you hate to see that in our hearts because you love us and you want us to be free, God. And so we, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for sending him to set us free, not, not just in eternity so we can be with you in heaven one day forever, and, and that's awesome, and we look forward to that, God, but you also sent Jesus to give our hearts and our souls freedom in this life, like right now, today, in 2020. And Father, for the, for the one or the many, I don't know, who may be here who have not experienced this freedom, for the people here who have never met you, God, would you help them just begin that journey today by giving their lives over to you, by making you the master of their entire lives, God. Father, would you show us what true freedom is in 2020? God, help us, help us to live it, help us to walk it, help us to breathe your freedom this year, God. And we ask it in the most beautiful and powerful name that we know, the name of Jesus, amen.